Wasn't that a wonderful sharing by Kikiet? Kikiet, I'm not sure if you're here. If you're here, thank you for doing that video sharing. Well, good afternoon, my beloved family in Christ, and welcome to our dear visitors and friends. Ian, who is the main preaching pastor, he's not here today. Ian and Sherry, they are back in Canada to settle some matters and to arrange for the rest of their move back here to Singapore. But Ian will be back next Sunday. So for our first-time visitors, please do come back next Sunday. Come back to hear Ian preach. He's good, he's way better than me. And for the rest of us, remember also to keep Ian and Sherry in prayer as they travel. We shall be continuing today in our series titled, Not Ashamed. Today, we'll finally start on the book of Acts. And as a church, we will make our way through the rest of Acts this year. And as we do so, we will see a church who is not ashamed of the gospel. We will see a church that is boldly witnessing to the good news of Jesus Christ. But before we jump in, let us pray using the words of an old hymn. Father God, may your Holy Spirit, light divine, dawn upon this soul of mine. Let your word dispel the night, wake my spirit, clear my sight. Holy Spirit, grace divine, cleanse this sinful heart of mine. In your mercy, look on me, and from sin's bondage, set me free. Holy Spirit, truth divine, shine upon these eyes of mine. Send your radiance and light from above. Let me know my Saviour's love. In Christ's name, Amen. What effect does Brent's essence of chicken have on you? Our O-level students who have just received their results may know this little glass bottle of brown liquid tonic well. I'm sure your anxious parents may have fed you essence of chicken many a times or some other not-so-tasty tonics. I know, because I've been fed my fair share of it as a student. But I'm curious, what is bread's essence of chicken good for? And as a student, diligent student, I went to the website, okay, and according to the website, is for this. It's ideal for working professionals who despite having stressful jobs and long working hours, want to remain active and ready to seize the day. Okay? It's suitable for mothers who require pre- and postnatal nourishment. It's recommended for students, now for the students that miss, who need the extra boost to cope with their studying schedule. And it's ideal for sinners. Uh, Yes, not enough coffee. It's ideal for seniors. Sorry, seniors, you're not sinners. It's ideal for seniors who want to feel more revitalized. Okay? I don't know how true this is. The doctors in our midst can challenge this. And don't worry, worry, this is not a product placement. I'm not getting any fees for product endorsement. I have a point here, and the point I'm making is the book of Acts is God's essence of chicken for us. X is God's spiritual tonic for Christians. The book of X is written for those among us who doubt. X provides certainty. 
For those among us who are fearful, acts provides boldness. For those among us who are timid, acts provides confidence. And I'm sure, I'm sure of this, because it happened to me as well. I'm sure feelings and thoughts of doubts, fears and timidity cross our minds when we heard that this year, Grace Baptist Church will focus on proclaiming the gospel. Don't lie. I'm sure many of you think, who, me, proclaim the gospel? And we are in good company. The disciples too fled in fear when Jesus Christ was captured and crucified. Even after they have seen the resurrected Christ, some doubted. And when they received the great commission to make disciples of all nations, what happened? They lacked boldness. They didn't dare to go out. So Luke wrote Acts as the essence of chicken, a tonic for the disciples and for us. As Dr. Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh evangelical minister, preacher, and medical doctor once encouraged, live in that book, I exalt you. It's a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. So if you have Bibles, if you don't have your Bibles, you can take up the pew Bibles in front of you and turn to page 909. 909. The rest of us with your own Bibles turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, and we can begin to live in this book. Acts 1, verse 1 to 5. This is what God's Word says. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during, the 40, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When I was doing my theological studies in the States a couple of years ago, I took a little trip to visit Barnabas in Chicago. And when I was there, I was told to visit the Sears Tower. Because from the top, of the 108-story building, you could see a large part of the city of Chicago and you'll get a wonderful view of the Great Lakes. I took the fast lift to the top and my ears were popping all the way up. And as I stepped to the top floor, I saw that it had, it had floor-to-ceiling glass windows all around and it surrounded all four sides. I was told that the view was fantastic. At least from where, what I could see from where I stood. There were young children crowded right at the edge, taking in the view, and there I was, standing some 10 meters back, afraid to go to the edge. You may not know this, but I have a fear of heights. Now my stomach started to tie itself in a knot every time I attempted to walk to the windows. And irrational thoughts went through my mind. What if the construction of the building somehow could not support my weight? You know, as if, okay? 
And my uncertainties prevented me from taking that step and seeing what was a wonderful view. But you and I, we can be certain of the good news of Jesus Christ. We can be certain of the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, Luke writes, in the first book of Theophilus, Acts is part two of the story that Luke writes. Luke, Acts is one story which Luke is telling of Jesus Christ. The first book he refers to then is the Gospel of Luke. And he tells Theophilus, what a great name. Theophilus means beloved by God. So he tells this person named beloved by God and he tells Theophilus, who likely sponsored the writing of Luke X, to refer back to the first part, to the Gospel of Luke. He links X and the Gospel of Luke and joins together his purpose for both parts. And what is his purpose for writing? Do you remember Luke chapter 1, verse 4? Okay, as a good Baptist, I'm going to get you to flip the Bible. So if you put your finger on Acts 1, you can flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 4. This is what Luke says there. Luke tells us that he writes the gospel so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you, you have been taught. Luke writes so that we can be certain. And what are the things we can be certain about? Firstly, you can be certain of all Jesus did and taught. In the four verses there, Luke collected eyewitness accounts. He tells us he collected eyewitness accounts and dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in his gospel. In the gospel of Luke, we hear Jesus telling us about the kingdom of God. In this broader sense, the kingdom of God refers to God's sovereign rule over his creation, a rule that Jesus restores by bringing forgiveness of sins and reconciliation through his life, death, and resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, we hear the good news that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. We see this in Luke 19, verse 10. In the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus Christ crucified and dying in our place for our sins. We can be certain of all of these because Luke recorded an orderly account based off eyewitness testimonies. Witnesses who at the time of writing Acts, time of Luke writing Acts in the early 1680s, these witnesses were still alive and could verify the truth of what Luke wrote. And jumping ahead to verse 3, what else can you be certain of? You can be certain of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see Luke writing in verse 3, He, meaning Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. After Jesus' crucifixion, death and burial, after three days, he presented himself alive to the disciples. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And in his resurrection body, he appeared to many of his disciples many times over the course of 40 days. There were many proofs 
that Jesus was raised physically. His body was not in an empty tomb. He asked a doubting Thomas to touch the scars on his hands and his sides. He ate breakfast with the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a key doctrine in Christianity and is something we can be certain about because of its many proofs. Finally, going back to verse 2, we can be certain of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us in verse 2, until the day He, meaning Jesus Christ, was taken up. And we see an expanded account of this in Luke chapter 24, verse 50 to 53. That's the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke. We see that Jesus Christ was physically taken up into the heavens where He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus ascends to take His throne and now rules over all of creation. Jesus, our Saviour King, now prays for us as our High Priest, interceding with God on our behalf. Jesus Christ ascends and sends the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' ascension was also witnessed by His disciples. So my friends, you can be certain of all Jesus did and taught. You can be certain of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. But why is it so important to be certain? Why did Luke go through all this trouble just to prove to us, show us proof so that we can be certain? This is because certainty breeds convictions. Certainty breeds and builds convictions. Let me tell you a story of someone um, which is, uh, I'm sure many of the Ephesians are miss know this name. Okay? Because this person, it was this certain conviction of this person's faith that prompted a 25-year-old Scotsman called Robert Morrison to leave his home in 1807 to go as the first Protestant missionary to China. And for the Ephesians are miss, if Robert uh, Morrison sounds familiar, he is one of the co-founders of the Raffles Institution. In fact, one of the houses in R.I. is named after him. And one of the fruit of his missionary labour was that he translated the Bible into the Herhepen, the Chinese, a Chinese translation of the Bible. And Robert Morrison served for 27 years in China with only one trip back home to England. And near the end of his life, he wrote, okay, pardon the little old English, but this is quoted from what he wrote, there is now in Canton a state of society in respect of Chinese, totally different from what I found in 1807. Chinese scholars, missionary students, English presses and Chinese scriptures with public worship of God. All these have grown up since that period. I have served my generation and must, know the, and must the Lord know when I fall asleep. What drove Morrison to serve his generation with such great sacrifices for the sake of the gospel? It was his convictions. He was certain of the gospel. He was certain that when he dies, when he leaves this place, he will meet the Lord. Certainty builds decisive 
conviction that acts. Even if it means spending 27 years of your life in China in the 1800s to proclaim the gospel. Have you observed children by the swimming pools? When they first get to the pool for the first time, most of them are unsure and afraid of getting into the water. And, and the, the young parents around me, can, I'm sure, can attest to that. But when their dads or someone they know get into the water with them, they become bold and confident. Many of them will take the plunge, so to speak, and enjoy the water. What happened? They become unafraid to step into the waters when their dads are with them. We too can be unafraid to step into the waters and proclaim the gospel. But if you're not afraid, or not now afraid, then either you do not understand the near impossibility of the task that Jesus is asking us to do, or you're not really honest with yourself. Think about it. What is Jesus asking us to do? Luke writes in the second half of verse 2, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And just what are Jesus' commands before he's taken up into heaven? You need to turn back to Luke 24 with me. Luke 24, verse 46 to 48. They tell, this verse tells us what they are. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And this is key. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Or as Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus commands us to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are to proclaim the gospel in Jesus' name to all the nations. Really. That's what Jesus asks us to do. Really. Be Jesus' witness to my boss who is a vowed Buddhist. What if I offend him? Be Jesus' witness to my classmates who will mock me what if I become an outcast in my class? Be Jesus' witness to other nations? You mean you ask me to give up the comfort of home and convenience of Singapore? Humanly speaking, we should recognize the near impossibility of this task. Humanly speaking, it's natural to be afraid. But, but this is where grace comes in. God will enable you to obey the commands He gives. God enables through the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you and I can be witnesses to the gospel. You and I can be unafraid to proclaim the good news. And why can you be unafraid? You can be unafraid because God fulfills His promise Verse 4 to 5 tells us, And while staying with them, He, meaning Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We see here Jesus tells his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And this is not the first time Jesus talks about the promise of the Father. He also tells his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. So what is this promise of the Father? Is God sending the Holy Spirit upon his disciples? And we see this, we see the promise again in Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence comes upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts 2, marks the birth of the church and the dawn of the new age of salvation set in place by Jesus the Messiah. God keeps and fulfills His promise. Believers who receive the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by the promised Holy Spirit. Paul tells us so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. God fulfills His promises. The presence of the Father is with us. We can be unafraid. We can be unafraid because God empowers us by His Spirit. Luke tells us in Acts 1.8 that the disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The disciples will receive divine power that enables them for ministry. And the Holy Spirit's power is purposeful. It is the power for weakness. Such weakness that will take the disciples further and further out to Jerusalem, to the furthest corner of Judea, to Samaria and beyond. And we see a power, we see an example of this power in the spirit-empowered boldness of Peter and John in Acts 4.13 and following. Again, if you have Bibles, keep your finger on Acts 1, flip with, over to Acts 4. Flip over to Acts 4. In Acts 4, we see this. We see the Sanhedrin, which had prosecuted the Lord Jesus. And what they do is, these religious leaders called Peter and John to explain the healing of the beggar in chapter 3. And here, what do we see? We see the formerly fearful and covering Peter, the gospel. He now speaks boldly declaring that Jesus is responsible for the healing, verse 10, and that Jesus is the rejected capstone, verse 11, and that salvation is not found through the law, but in Jesus Christ. And even the Sanhedrin note their courage and might, verse 13, recognizing that it is due to Peter's and John's association with Jesus. As the Baptist preacher Charles Burton has said, the best life of Christ 
is his living biography, written out in the words and actions of his disciple, of his people. And Luke makes this point clear in verses 8 and 12. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, There is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Peter is as he is, bold, unashamed of the gospel, because the Spirit of God is empowering him to declare Christ as Lord and Saviour. So my friends, we can be unafraid because the Holy Spirit will empower us to witness to Jesus Christ. I give thanks to God for the Reformation concert last year. There we learned that the Bible is one story, the story of Jesus Christ. However, the story of Jesus Christ, of what He does and what He teaches, doesn't end with the Bible the story of Jesus Christ continues today, even in the life of the church. Luke tells us in verse 1, all that Jesus began to do and teach. He implies here that Jesus continues to do and teach in Acts. No, but how, how can this be possible? After all, we see that Jesus is taken up into heaven at the start of Acts, in Acts 1.9. It's because of the Holy Spirit who is also called the Spirit of Christ. This is, we see this in Romans 8-9. The Spirit is promised in verse 5. We see that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples are to be Jesus' witness to the ends of the earth in Acts 1-8. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2. And as the disciples proclaim the Gospels to both Jews and Gentiles in the rest of Acts, the Holy Spirit creates the church as the spiritual bleed dead respond to the gospel. What we see in Acts is that Jesus continues to act and teach through the Holy Spirit via the weakness of the church. And by this, the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. With Paul finding in Rome in Acts 28, the last two verses of Acts, in Acts 28, verse 30, 31, tells us, He, meaning Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The proclamation of the gospel goes forward with all boldness and without hindrance. But Acts end rather abruptly, right? You notice there? It didn't really tell us what happened to Paul. He was supposed to meet uh, Caesar, but you know, we don't know what happened. But I think this is deliberate. Because in one sense, we, the church of the 21st century, we are living in Acts 29. As the Spirit of Christ continues to act and teach even today, as the church witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth. As the church grows, when the Holy Spirit breathes new life into non-believers and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus Christ continues today, even in the life of Grace Baptist Church. 
and we all can be part of this continuing story of what Jesus Christ is doing. Christ has promised that salvation will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And this was what God promised as far back as Isaiah 49, 6 in the Old Testament. God speaks to his people saying, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. So God is saying to his servant, it's not enough that you witness and bring back uh, the Jewish people. But he says this, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And Jesus confirms this promise in his last words to his disciples in Acts 1.8. And this purpose, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, became their first concern. God empowers His first century church to be witnesses by the Holy Spirit, to be faithful and bold preachers of the gospel. So that by the end of Acts, the gospel is proclaimed in Rome, the heart of Gentile territory. So Acts is written to give us certainty that God's God's plan are always fulfilled. Do we have confidence in this? Will that confidence lead our church to be vitally involved in God's continuing missionary endeavours? Do you believe we all can be part of the continuing story of what Jesus Christ is doing? So what can you and I be doing as part of the continuing story? Firstly, we need to reject some of our preconceptions that are lacking. No one is excused from participating in God's mission. The progress of the gospel does not stop with us. A church that claims to be Christian and yet has no concern to get the gospel out beyond its door is not a Christian church. We need to get over a preconception that being witnesses for Jesus Christ is based off our traditional understanding of missions. Being witnesses for Jesus Christ is not just based off our traditional understanding of missions. It's not being a witness out there, somewhere in some foreign nation. It's being a witness for Jesus Christ where we are, in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, in our homes, workplaces, schools and neighbourhoods. And proclaiming the gospel is not self-reliance. Humanly speaking, the task we are called to is near impossible. It is a reliance of the Holy Spirit. Not on human smartness and programs and strategies and action plans. Because scripture tells us and shows us that self-sufficiency is insufficiency. It is only through the Holy Spirit that non-believers are converted and lives change. So secondarily, secondly, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? So what? What now? It means, Grace Baptist Church, you and I, we witness wherever we are. We can be like the Christian accountant in our church who in his conversations with his Indian co-workers at his workplace seeks to bridge to the gospel. He boldly yet gently shares about Jesus Christ in his daily conversation with his co-workers. 
We can be like Hikiet, who in interactions with his family and relatives in their homes, seeks to lovingly share the good news of Jesus Christ, strengthened by his testimony of a changed life. We can be like many of the young adults in the university who seek to talk about Jesus Christ and share the gospel with their classmates, inviting their friends to Bible studies together. It also means that as sweetness, we do so in prayerful dependence and submitting to the empowering and leading of the Holy Spirit. The only power strong enough to invade and enlighten dead rebel hearts is the Holy Spirit, the gift promised by the Father. We cannot do it. Only God can. And we can do, and we can, through His gracious promise, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. On our part, we pray and we submit to the empowering and leading of the Holy Spirit through His Word. And we step out in faith. Finally, to those of us in our midst who are doubtful, fearful, and timid, will you say to yourself, God will use my testimony in all its frailty and weakness to glorify Himself by bringing people to trust in His Son. I am not to trust in my eloquent speaking, but in God, the great evangelist to do His work through me. Your physical fitness is a matter of building muscles and losing fat. But spiritual fitness builds my trust in God to do His work and weaken my trust in my own self-sufficiency. So my friends, will you show enough confidence in the Holy Spirit to step out and witness? Will you trust with certainty the good news? And the Bible draws a connection between what is on our heart and what is expressed on our tongues. What we believe in our hearts will find its way to the tongue. So would you say to yourself, I must not be silent. A consistent life is important and vital, but it's not enough. I must speak. I must speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If this is your desire, then pray along with me in your heart. Father God, we thank you for your grace gift of salvation, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to seek and save the lost. We thank you also for your promise and grace gift of the Holy Spirit, your empowering presence who is with us. May we learn to lean ever more on the leading and empowering of the Spirit of Christ and therefore be faithful witnesses to the story of the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we are. We pray this for the renown and fame of Jesus' name. Amen.